Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 119. Joining me this evening, Mac. Is it lucky number 119? It is lucky number 119. Okay. And Ian. Good evening, everybody. And returning from the Atheist on Air podcast, Terry. Hey, everybody. And I'm your host, Brian. How is everybody? Great. Yeah? I'm back mm-hmm. in Houston. Apparently, I'm silly. You're si- That's what I was told this afternoon. <clears throat> when, I, when I asked Tango if he's lost the ability to fly, he said, you're silly. Aw. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Terry, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to you know, spread the love since we don't do that enough. <laughs> so I just wanted to shout out to Atheists on Air. I was on episode 66 as a guest at a fantastic time. It was so much fun. And I think we have some new listeners from my appearance there. So thanks for coming over. And also thanks to all of you who reached out to me, messaged me and so on on Facebook and over the Internet. I got a lot of really positive feedback, feedback and I appreciate it. Excellent. Anything else? Well, then let's get right into the masturbation moment. All right, I'm ready. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Let's get into this. Is everybody set? Um, All right. Well, I'm not. I, I, I'm not even on the edge of completion yet. So you're really gonna have to work. Do some work here. <laughs> so two people sent me two different articles claiming that researchers have found neither the G spot nor vaginal nor that vaginal orgasms exist. So uh, from the journal journal Clinical Anatomy. Quote, the vagina has no anatomical relationship with the clitoris, and the clitoris is a perennial organ. Well, the supposed G-spot is inside the pelvic urethra, or near the pelvic urethra. G-spot vaginal clitoral orgasm, vaginally activated orgasm, and clitorally activated orgasm are incorrect terms, like male orgasm and female orgasm are the correct terms. The vaginal orgasm that some women report is always caused by the surrounding erectile organs triggers a female orgasm. The male penis cannot come in contact with the with the structures that they claim where the G-spot is, um, or with the clitoris during vaginal... Oh, sorry, I'm misreading that. The male penis cannot come in contact with some of these structures or with the clitoris during vaginal intercourse. Also, female ejaculation, premature ejaculation, persistent genital arousal disorder, periurethral glands, vaginal cervical genitosensory component of the vagus nerve, and the G-spot amplification are terms without scientific basis. Female sexual satisfaction is based on orgasm and resolution. In all women, orgasm is always possible if the female, in the female erectile organs, i.e. the female penis, are effectively stimulated during masturbation, cunnilingus, partner masturbation, or during vaginal anal intercourse if the clitoris is simply stimulated with a finger. Uh, let's see, they go on to say that the G-spot has become the center of a multi-million dollar business. G-spot amplification, also called G-spot augmentation, um, or the G-shot, is a cosmetic surgery procedure for temporarily increasing the size and sensitivity of what some believe to be the G-spot, which is located about halfway between the pubic bone and the cervix and about three inches into the pelvis, in which the dermal filler or collagen-like material is injected into the bladder vaginal septum. If the supposed G-spot is located on the anterior vaginal wall between the vagina and the urethra, why is the dermal filler injected into the bladder vaginal septum for G-spot amplification? All published scientific data indicate that the G-spot does not exist. 
So I had an email discussion with one of these people who sent me this link. And I this and is, to be fair that I, I sent you that the, the link too. Yes. You said <laughs> but I didn't have an email discussion with you, but my other friend uh, asked me what I thought. And so just off the cuff, um, for me personally and anecdotally, it kinda rings true that there might not be a G spot. And I think Kimberly one time on our podcast claimed that the G spot is actually the backside of the clitoris, which would make sense. But what's interesting to me is that um the way that we treat female orgasm as like this holy grail that's this really difficult, complicated thing to achieve, and it has to be, you know, the G-spot is one of those things that is stimulated by the penis inside the vagina. So is it real, or did some dudes who want to be in charge of women's orgasm imagine that it's real? I don't know. Brian, I know you had some thoughts about this. Here's here's the thing, is that... Um, I listened. I've listened to a, a couple of different shows when people talk about this, and the, the 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 thing that they usually say is that the the G spot is the same structure that in the male is the prostate. But okay. I, I I don't know for sure that there's any scientific evidence to back that up. But that's what all these, what for lack of a better term, sex workers. I don't know what 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 exactly they're the best term. The people who are you know in giving instructions and are supposed to be the experts in 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 this in this area. And if you in one of the podcasts, I mean, well, I got this. One of them is from Lacey Green. And she has a whole podcast on what the on the G spot and the prostate. Um, another one that I that I've got that I got information from. Is um, the Sex Nerd Sonder podcast? I'm pretty sure that they've had people come on and, and talk about the, the same exact thing. I don't know. I mean, certainly we can find the prostate. And the peer-reviewed clinical anatomy stuff says that it's not. Like they say that in the in the journal article that they that can't find not, the, the G spot. The G spot is not analogous to the male prostate. Okay, and 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 you know whether whether it's true or not, I'm, I'm not sure that this idea. Because one of these articles says that the only way that a woman can have an orgasm is through clitoral stimulation. And, I don't agree with that at all. Well, it's complete. It, it, it is complete bullshit. Because quite frankly, you can have you oh, you could have an orgasm with no with somebody never touching your penis, and a woman can have an orgasm with somebody never touching her clitoris. Yeah, the most, the strongest sex organ in the body is the brain. Exactly. I mean, most of the time, arousal, arousal happens in the brain, right? And, and only after, you know, because if, if you're not in the mood, if your brain is not in the mood, I don't care how much you're, um, you know, messing with the clitoris or the penis, you're not gonna, you're not gonna orgasm. I'd like to throw out two points of order regarding this that, uh, Terry read. First of all, um, there is no anatomical relationship between the vagina and the clitoris. I've seen them both. They are adjacent. They are adjacent. They're pretty damn that. near each other. So I don't know what uh, what the researchers were looking at, but here's here's my and the thing I always come back to. Wait, a second point. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm, also, I apologize. G Spot is an East Coast rapper. Okay. <laughs> Also, they claim that – sorry, Brian. Also, they claim that um, all women can achieve orgasm, which is not true. You know, I, I wonder if you – know, here's here's the thing is that and, – and we have an article that, that talks about this later is that, you know, you always talk about, you know, you hear that the man is supposed to, you know, take Give care of the woman. The woman in and, orgasm. And quite frankly, 
the woman is should be expected to know her body well enough so that she can instruct you on the best way to bring her to that orgasm. And so if you're a woman who can orgasm from some sort of internal pressure or internal, you know, something, or if it's just the clitoris, it's, it's up to you, the woman, to know that, not me. You're supposed to tell me and then, and then, you know, and, and I can work with that. So I have one more section I want to read from this email exchange because I think it speaks to what you are saying. Okay. So this is what I said in response to my other friend. I was thinking that in many ways society seems to treat female orgasm as this exhausting elusive unicorn that's very difficult to catch because it's the dudes who have deemed themselves the catchers. It's like the holy grail, hence the G-spot, which is nicely penis-centric. The dudes have been in control of it for so long, partly due to the anti-masturbation ta taboo and slut-shaming and the desire to give women the space to masturbate without shame and to be openly sexual without guilt or fear that we're inviting rape might be similar to gay rights because the oppression of women's sexuality and reproductive health is about power and control. So I think that there's a, this whole host of cultural shaming and stuff that has led to women not knowing how the fuck to make themselves orgasm, right? And so the dudes are like, hey, my penis rubs here and she seems to like that. There must be a special thing that my penis touches when it's insertive, penile, vaginal sex that makes her come. Let's call it the G spot, right? If yeah, I mean, I here's the thing. I, I kind of don't really care if there's a piece of anatomy called the G spot that we can find and prove exists, because if a woman can get stimulation from inside, um, what inside the vagina, inside the, then then great. If she doesn't, then great. You know, we find out what what gets a person off and and that and you know and that's that's the procedure if you will and don't treat her like there's something wrong if she can't achieve orgasm with your penis inside her or if no because she needs because who is it it's, it's there, and i always like to re to repeat what the get it's who is the porn star who said he and he's known for having a very large penis he said yeah. i've gotten more women off my tongue than i ever ron have my jeremy. penis ron oh, jeremy no. ron yeah. jeremy i remember the well, quote okay I thought it was yeah, I think that yeah, that's correct. Cheesy so mustache I, guy. And certainly, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, Ron Jeremy, I by think, the way, is also the guy who played Jizz Master Zero in Orgasmo. I think that, I mean, certainly, I, I'd like I'd like to see sex research done, right? But the value in it is not necessarily um, – information about how to how to get a person off right that's not necessarily the value maybe there really isn't the, this anatomy right um but is that valuable when two people are having sex i think we need anthropology i think we need a cultural sea change to make it okay for women to masturbate and to know themselves and to learn how to get themselves off yeah we've been saying that for a while now i know it's but we just have to keep saying it until it happens yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you disagree with anything that that I've said about it being the woman's responsibility to tell me how to get her off? Uh, well, honestly, I think I know my wife's body better than she does, but she has certain um, issues. But that was partially the way she was raised. But I here's the thing: is that that that's okay because in that situation, you two were able to explore that together. Right. I think that there's a two-way communication, Brian. I agree okay. with what yeah. I agree with what you say, and I think part of that though is like if maybe she's not sure, you're checking in with her. Does she like this? Does she look like she's enjoying that? Would she like it this way? To, or even asking her. That, that's know? that's my real point. Is the communication is important because here's right. the thing. Here's the thing: is that if I'm doing something that she likes, I can only know that by 
I mean, I might know it by the way that she moves her body, but I also, if she tells me, okay, good, this, this is good, you know, and, right. and, and as well, and at least it's good right now, might not be tomorrow. You right. know, yeah. it's just, that was the point I was going to make is that what is doing it for somebody one night may be completely different the next night. Or morning. Or just morning. saying, whatever. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and here's the thing is that Hell, it might sometimes, be different five minutes later. That's right. Sometimes it's okay not to orgasm. Right. And just feel, you know, I was thinking about that too, you know, because of my whole bike rating feels good thing. Um, it's just enjoying the journey, like enjoying the touch and enjoying the, the, you know, the togetherness or whatever it is about it that you're enjoying. Uh, like appreciating the steps along the way too. Cause I think we place, you're right. We place this value on the end result always. Like if that's the most important thing and it's, spectacular but and sometimes it's not the most important thing because quite frankly once you hit that point it's over right everything in between that that is really actually what's exciting yeah that's a very good point yeah so as much as i i find this interesting and and whether they're right or wrong right i I don't that it it isn't it's valuable in the in in a sense that you know that maybe we know a little bit more about anatomy but what it isn't – in the end, it, it doesn't tell me how how every woman is going to experience orgasm. Which is the point, right? It, there's That's a fantastic point that you just made because that's what the G-spot kind of did. It made us think that there's this one thing that every single woman can – if you just do this one thing, everyone can do it, and that's not true. Yeah, and, and so I, I, I hate I, – I almost hate more the response to the research than the research in and of itself. Because it is probably true that the, that, I mean, that the penis, the, the stimulation that we see that, that, where the penis gets stimulated, that, that might, that probably is the clitoris, right? I, I don't know for sure, but. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, and so even, but calling it a little penis is probably, um, probably not. Why don't we call the penis a big clitoris instead? Or whatever. You know know what? Some women have a, have their clitoris looks yeah. like a little penis. Yes, it, it's, it it's it's that big, and so I I don't know. I, I I get upset when people look at this research, and like I I I haven't read the actual research, but um that the title on the article is what what really got me. Right. Um. Let, let me read that title. Is this the Huffington Post? Um. This is no. This is from Science. Final word on female Sorry. orgasm. In, in an anticlimax. It's an anticlimax. You're right. It's an anti. Oh, okay. It's also I mean, negative, and yeah, it's like it, the final word. Like, okay, now we know for sure that women are super hard to get to orgasm. So, and, and no more climax for you. <laughs> that's not necessarily true. And, it's and not. I have, and and I suspect that if women's sexuality was not so repressed, mm-hmm. that. They would find out earlier what gets them off, and maybe it wouldn't be this, this you know, like a journey that we can never achieve. Right, or that it's really uh, exhausting, and you can't just get your groove on quickly if you want to, because yeah. you don't know what's going to get your groove on. And and I suspect you, you're probably right. There probably is some women that can't climax. For- that doesn't mean that they don't like having sex, and maybe they don't like having sex. And there's probably men that can't climax either, but we sure. never talk about that. No. Until they're, until we got a pill for that. Right. Um, well, and the women not climaxing thing, um, you know, what's so sad to me is this myth that it's up to men to get us off, like you were saying. Um, 
so I hear anecdotally from women who, um, you know, whatever, out, are single or out of marriages or whatever, and they're like, oh, you know, I miss having orgasms. And I'm like, why the fuck aren't you having orgasms? Yeah. What Here's are you talking about? I, I don't want to... I, and I think I think Mac kind of addressed this, I, or or maybe you did. I, it's not that I don't want to get a woman off. It's right. that I, I I just need you to tell me how. I need you. The communication is what we're doing correct. Right. And so, is that what you want right now? And maybe like Mac was saying, maybe tomorrow you want something else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the, this whole conversation has to. I mean, it, it can't. It's not just about anatomy. Oh no, not at all. Yeah. It's all about the mind. But that's what. But that's what it sounds like when you say the final word, the final word in female orgasm is anticlimax. It is, and it makes it puts the idea out there in the ether too that it's that much harder, right? Something that some people already think is difficult or imagine it's, is difficult. Do we think it's difficult though because there's a there's a guilt component? Women are not supposed to enjoy sex, therefore. You know, you've got the uh, you've got the brain saying, "Okay, I shouldn't be enjoying this," yeah, and worrying about ten thousand different things. Exactly. Yeah, God's um, watching me, and I shouldn't be enjoying this. And, and or the whatever. answer to that question is probably far more interesting than whether or not there's a G spot. No, oh, I agree. Yeah, um, Brian, I wanted to ask what you think though about um, not to get too personal. Don't answer this if you don't want to. Uh, you. Let's see. They say something about um, female ejaculation is also a myth. What do you think about that? I don't know. I have no idea. But if it is real, man, I want to see it. <laughs> and it, I mean, what, it could be. I just have no idea. I have no idea. I, I don't really I, – I don't have a – I mean, I, I've seen women with a lot of fluids come out, right? Right. But I – but I. I can't be sure where they came from or what they are. I mean, right? I no That's idea. my thought is maybe there's some yeah. urine release happening or something. I maybe. don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but don't you want to know? <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to work myself up this weekend to actually try to find information about that because I've always there's... suspected it's. But I'm sort of afraid to search for it. There's, I, I, I'm seeing more and more of these things, um, you know, I, um, in my spam about, you know, uh, teaching every woman to, to, to squirt in 30 minutes and stuff like that. I'm, right. Cause there's a step by step, right? Cause women are all the same, just like this G spot bullshit. Right. Exactly. Uh, here's, here are the five steps to make your woman, you know, uh, ejaculate in three minutes or whatever. Didn't we cover something on, uh, when we did a sex toy review or something, there was something like that, like a wristwatch that you look at. Okay, now it's time to do this yeah. other thing. Okay, now it's two minutes later, you do this other thing. And yeah, it's all yeah, just bullshit. I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think that, I, I think that anytime somebody says that they have the answer, everybody can, you know, everybody, right? It's a lie. Well, and what's wrong with these women now who have read this? article in clinical anatomy and have seen scientific researchers say that every single woman can get off with stimulation of the erectile tissue. Like they're, like you were saying, there might be some psychological things or cultural things that are making that difficult for women. And you can stimulate the erectile tissue all you want and I she's think, not going to get right past yeah. that. I think there's a lot of that going on actually. I really, I really, and I think Max, Max point is, is, is really good that the, the biggest sexual organ is the brain. Yep. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I can you know if I'm in the right headspace, man, it's it's, it's you know it's easy. But if I'm not in that right headspace, man, I, I, 
it's much more difficult to, to climax. Yeah. Well, and then you might be in the right headspace and something you, – you hear the wrong noise at the wrong time and suddenly you're not in that headspace anymore. <laughs> yeah, that can certainly happen. That's why I put you the know, cowbells on the kids now. All I'm thinking is, knock, 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 housekeeping, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, housekeeping doesn't come by at night. I've been okay. Uh, anyway, I, I think that this discussion is interesting. I and I, I think that we we need to continue to try to normalize female masturbation. Absolutely. And in male masturbation, I mean, if the Mormons huh. and the Catholics have their way, nobody will be masturbating, and this I, is going to be a very I sad world. I don't need. I didn't even know if it's necessarily female and male masturbation. Just, just we need to shake off the Victorian hang-ups about sex. Yeah, yes. I, that's, or the, that's not even true. the Victorian hang-ups. The Victorians were pretty damn sexy. Uh, let's let's shake off the puritanical hang-ups. Yep, I agree. I, I I really hope we get to. I have a lot to say about this about your article. Hopefully, we can get to that tonight. About the men? Yeah, the about, men yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, hopefully we can get to that. Should we do it now? We could do it now. I, I don't know because people have got some other stuff in here. What, what, else, what other things do you guys have in here that you really want to cover? I'd really like to hit on that, 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 hand, that victories for common sense thing. Okay. Sure. Um, well, uh, we've got another thing. In, do you want to – oh, the sperm bank mom. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. That's, that's, an, that's interesting. I, um, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, okay. This one's, to me, one of the of a more interesting so, um, story that shows social mentality. Um, the, the title is White Mother Sues Sperm Bank After Racial Mix-Up. Um, basically, uh, <clears throat> this, um, lesbian couple wanted to have a kid and one of them got, um, artificially inseminated. Um, they got a call. Um, from the sperm bank, uh, or no, they called the sperm bank back because they were thinking of having another kid, and they found out that the sperm had gotten mixed up, and they ha- um, it was three eighty instead of three thirty is the do- donor number, and it turned out that um, three eighty was blonde haired, blue eye. That's what they were supposed to get, but three thirty was an African American. Um, and the True issue apparently is not necessarily the child in and of itself, but where they lived, which is quite interesting being a lesbian couple. And, um, but they lived in Uniontown, Ohio, a r- rural community that, according to the latest census, is 98% white. And so, they, 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 you know, the child's born, they, they apparently love the child, and, you know, that, that's not the issue. The issue is that they, felt they had to move because um, the society they were living in at the time wasn't about to accept a mixed-raced baby, even if it is from a lesbian couple that you would think, you know. So so to me, the it, it's an interesting conundrum because aren't they already breaking the societal norms that would make the child be out of place? And here they are, you know. Well, complaining about a whole different societal norm that in, does it. That's, that's what I was going to say is everybody's got what they think of as the societal norm and they don't think that they're not it. Well, I, I think that a lesbian couple realizes that they're not the norm. Mm, I think you might be. I, I think everybody has a level of normal and I, th- I think they might level- have accepted that 
is normal for them, right? But I think that they would realize that th- that there's a lot of people out there who don't see that as normal. I, I don't I think that anybody's that, living in that big a closet. All I can say is that uh, next next census that should be down to ninety seven point nine percent white. <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine that a town is tolerant of a lesbian couple, but completely intolerant of a biracial child. That's one thing that got me. But they're saying they have to move. You've got to say it right, Terry. You got to say it right. If you say it right, it's conceptualized. You you can conceive of it if you say it right. You got to say, well, we don't mind the lesbian couple, but uh, as long as there's white. (laughs) Now, now my um, step. You know what? Mac, you're joking, but that could be the case. Sure, that's a good that's, point. That's the second point I'm making with everybody's got a level of normal that they think that they're at their level of normal. Yeah, maybe. I, I just – wow, that's – Yeah, this is an odd one to me, and that's one reason why I put it in there. It, it, it definitely shows a, a, an odd mentality. And it is. I, it, it is odd. Regretfully, it does still exist. My um, stepsister, she's married to a black man, and she, they've had two kids together. And her brother actually has issues with that, even though he's married to a mixed race woman. But he says that um, he he um, his wife is discriminated against because she's mixed race, and so he has actually given his sister a hard time over her having mixed race kids. So it still happens, which surprises me because I never think of it twice. I've known quite a few mixed race kids. And never thought anything of it. So it, it's one of those things where I guess it still is an issue out there, but it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Well, we're such uh, a melting pot now. Yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. I was going to say that, that you don't know who's a mixed race. Right. Right. Or more. It's you know. only know if they're obviously mixed race. And honestly, I often think the, the kids I know that are mixed race have a really beautiful skin tone. I've noticed that mixed race often have this really beautiful skin tone to them, you know, almost a natural tan to it that um, I, I think is quite attractive. And uh, some of the jealousy, some of the issues might be jealousy over that kind of a look that I think is actually quite attractive. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's a jealousy thing. I think it's a I think it's a a spot in the mind that looks at this and sees other, and when they see other, they they see fear. Yeah, yeah, I, su- I would suspect that's that 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 would be my lean too. Help me process why I'm so pissed off at these moms pursuing though. I just it just is so. Uh, I just find it so distasteful that they're not just grateful I, for a healthy child and like I, you got this healthy beautiful child. I'm kind of child. with you on that boat, Terry. I, I feel like they should be happy if they love the child. Oh, love yeah. the child. If you're gonna, right. you know, and if this is. You know, if they live in the wrong place, then they're living in the wrong place in the damn first place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They need to get the fuck out of there. For Not only for their biracial child, but for their white child to not be exposed to that racial bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right? They need, to, they need to save the white child from that as well. I would agree. And like I said, a lot of this stuff, it, it, it's amazing – how much racism and stuff still exists out there because I, I do have such a hard time grasping it, but I, you know, I, I will admit I've been somewhat secluded. I've lived my whole life around blacks, Hispanics, minorities, and haven't thought a second thing of it. It's just other people. And yet you keep seeing it 
creep up and pop up and all this stuff about racial issues. And I have the hardest time really comprehending why it's still there. And it, and it's one of those things that has to be taught. We know that. We've seen enough evidence of that. That for it still to exist, for this mentality still exists, it's being taught somewhere. I think Mac's right, though, that it's tribal. And it's an easy, quick, physical demarcation of someone who's not like you, who's not in your tribe. This I was conflicted on this whole thing because at the same time, the sperm bank screwed up, right? Right. And, and yeah. certainly the, – the, so they – and they gave back the money is my understanding, which yeah. – I think that, that 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 is a reasonable recourse from 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 their position. It's like, well, okay, we made a mistake, but uh, and but then I also agree with Terry. Man, they have a healthy baby. You know, I mean, they wanted a baby. I mean, look at all these people that are uh, getting babies from China and stuff like that. So I, I'm not sure that I, I I just almost like almost like they're manufacturing a controversy. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it, you know I, I understand that the babies from China are more cheaply manufactured, but I think they're like <laughs> oh, shit. shit, you uh, went there. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. No, there's no, no way no, you would go there, guys. There. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Brian, I, I agree. There is almost something that feels kind of manufactured. Like maybe they want to move and say, hey, let's use this as a way to get them to pay for moving expenses. Yeah. yeah, and I I think that's a very a very strong possibility. But here's the thing: is I'm not I'm not saying that that's what's going on either. Right. But it just the the whole thing. I I don't know. It seems a, the whole thing seems a little odd to me. I understand the suit. I understand why they're upset. But on the other hand, I I think that this couple, the mixed race child, exceeded their level of normal. I think it. I think that as much as they may love the child. That exceeded what they think of as their family, and they need to adjust. Well, and I, I think that if their neighbors like them enough to adjust to what their level of normal is, they can adjust to a little bit lower level of normal from their viewpoint. You know, I I think though that if if this is a real problem for them, they can give that baby up for adoption. I mean, there are people that want to adopt babies, right? So somebody else will be able to raise that that child without a problem. Uh, one other thing I was going to bring up, and this this is just, again, me just off the cuff, but um, it seems to me that in some affluent and wealthy circles, there is a trend towards white parents adopting biracial or mixed race, other racial children, yeah. like almost as a status thing. I don't know if it's a status thing, but it seems like, you know, you're an extra special snowflake. I, I, I know a couple that has, a, a, like, four of their own children, and they adopted a little black girl. Um, from Africa. Which they and probably have some very legitimate non-status related reasons for that. That's why, yeah. But. But it, it did seem kind of weird to, you know, have so many kids and then adopt another. It's like, you know, they're wealthy enough that they can afford it. But you do wonder well, sometimes. Adopting another, though, rather than having another child is better. Totally. You know, you've got a child that's already in the world that needs to be cared for. If they and I can have, care for that child and care for that child as well as they care for their other children, right. more power to them. And I have heard that um, it's very expensive to adopt white children in the U.S. Like that's hmm. the prime. So yeah, it, yeah. But, but that, you know, as far as adopting a, a child of mixed race, did it all start with Dame Angelina? I'm wondering, yeah. Well, yeah, and then some other celebrities. Well, the, the I bet thing. it was happening before that. Yeah, well, I remember different strokes. Oh, you went there. <laughs> You went there. 
been happening for a long while. That's for, what made it popular. For our younger listeners, that was a TV show in the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> in which you a man what? creepily adopted all of these kids. This is what you're talking about, about Terry. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me think of another article that I was just re- um, that I was just reading about um, a, a couple who already had two children, but they wanted a third, and so they went and they needed her. Her uterus had I forget what it what it was, but so she, they they needed to do in, uh, in vitro fertilization. So they ended up with seven embryos. And the doctors wanted them to to pare it down Dude, because yes. they, they said the body can't handle it, right. and so they didn't. And so um, the the body started to abort them, and then eventually um, she went into premature labor, delivered the ones that were left, and they all died within an hour. Uh, wow. So because they were unwilling to pare it down to reduce, yeah, to reduce, they lost all of them. But of course, that was God's will, and that's you know they would have done it the same again. Because the others, because reduction would have been the same as abortion. Exactly. Yeah, and I know that this is—it's a, a little bit different, but it's—but it, it, they had a similar feel to me, and it—and you know, reminded me that it's the same kind of, I don't know, cognitive dissidence. And I, I think that regarding that, it—it it may have been God's will, but on the other hand, God may have been may have been saying, you know, I, I sent you a rowboat, I sent you a helicopter. Where, why weren't either of those good enough for you? Well, you know, that's a good – because here's the thing is that if it had been God's will, why did they need to do IVF in the first IVF, place? yes. Exactly. They, were all, they were already violating God's will because God willed her to have no more kids by, you know, by you know, giving her, her uterus some – I forget what the disease was. Because we're cherry-picking medical procedures, which are God's will. Exactly. Yeah, right. So so we're already playing God, right? But, you know, but we all have our have – our, uh, of our different uh, moralities that dictate that, so IVF wasn't playing; go- it wasn't wasn't against God's will, but aborting all of those extras would have been saving some of the babies would have been right. So the, yeah, exactly. So letting so instead they let them all die. We're back and to people's different levels of normal again, aren't we? Exactly. You, that that's I think that's why it reminded me of that. It's the same kind of thing. It's in and, and it's and it's a position I do not understand. And it makes me mad that instead of saving three, four of the kids, all seven of them had to die. Yeah. They probably weren't going to come out and cure cancer anyway, Brian. I'm just saying. Well, that's not quite my point. <laughs> but one of them could have. Maybe one of them was going to come up with the, with the theory of everything. The, the grand unifying theory of everything. The grand unifying theory. But no. Yeah, no, I just – it's – yeah, it is. They they had a different level of normal, right? I couldn't have done that. I, I you know, I we would have had it been me. Well, I would have, you know, pared it down to something reasonable. You would have listened to the doctors too. Yeah, well, exactly. I would have listened to the doctors because that's just crazy talk. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. I think we should move on. Okay. All right. Uh, and I guess so you want to do the victories for common sense. I do want to do the victories for common sense because I think this was awesome. So the the story here is that this Michigan cop stopped a stopped a mom who was driving her kid in the car because the kid was not in a booster seat. The reason there was no booster seat was because the mother's car with the booster seat in it got repossessed and she couldn't afford a booster seat for the car that she was driving. So rather than issuing her a ticket, he bought her a booster seat for the car. It's a it's a great feel good story. 
Yeah, it is it a great feel good story. And, you know, it's, it's trending all over the place. And the cop is saying that it was the best, you know, best money he ever spent in his life. Um, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a really, I think that he did a better thing by helping her than he would have done by issuing her a ticket. I think he did, he basically literally fulfilled to protect and to serve. So it's almost like breaking the cycle because, yeah. because she, she, she didn't have the car seat because her car was impounded. Her car was impounded because she didn't have the money for something probably. So right. she does, so she's got a car. She doesn't have a car seat, but she's still got to go do all these things. Exactly. And so now we're just, now we're going to give her another ticket that she can't afford to pay. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that. Let's help, help them break the cycle. I think yeah. that, and, and I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lot of conjecture here. I don't exactly know that. I think the your details. conjecture is, I think your conjecture is valid. Um, I think we've all been in that situation where, where we don't have the money for something that would help us out. And we definitely don't have the money for something else that's going to hurt us. Right. Sure. Giving her a ticket wouldn't really have, wouldn't really have solved anything. It might have potentially gotten her kid taken away and put into a, put into a foster home. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it would have gone that far. It might have cost her her job though, depending yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah. It might have cost her her job. But also, if she's not got her kid in a booster seat, an argument may be made that she's not taking proper care of the kid. And so, therefore, you know, you may bring social services into it. Yeah, sure, but also, get, with how expensive ticket, with how expensive tickets and cart fees and stuff are, that could have put her behind. It would have put her behind. Yeah, I, I mean, if, no. if she can't afford a booster seat at that point, a couple hundred bucks later, she definitely couldn't. So, you know, bravo to the officer for doing that and for being being a human being instead of an official. Yeah, I there's a there's a real tendency in there's a real tendency in this country to be afraid of the police. Well, because typically he would have uh, he would have given her a ticket. Yeah. And she still would have driven off, you know, with with a car, with a child not in a car seat. <laughs> exactly. The problem but, it wouldn't have solved the problem. But um, you know, too often we are put in a position where we feel where we feel like the the officer that's there to protect us is there to hurt us instead and we get paranoid you know we see a police car in your rearview mirror you start wondering what you did well when you start even if he's at- not flashing his right even if he's not flashing his lights you're sure you did something and that's why he's following you sure but you when know you start looking at probably just go in the same direction you start looking at Ferguson and you start looking at all these things, you know, that we are seeing abuse of power. Yeah. Or at least the potential of abuse of power. You know, I don't know if the, I don't know if the jury's really in on Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. I, but there's but, a lot I, of stories out there as to what might yeah. have been going on. And I'm, I'm withholding any judgment on that. No. And I, and, and I'm with you on that. But I mean, we're, we're seeing that, that perhaps, I mean, and we know that you know there's studies that when cops are wearing cameras 24/7, that they that they act better. You know those kinds of things that when they're when they're being monitored, and and I think and but it's not just cops. Anybody who's being monitored usually behaves better. Yep. Well, it's because when you when you picture the future, picture a boot standing on a human face forever. Well, the police could use some good press right about now. So I'm glad they got yes, some. I agree. Cool. What's this? Oh, these posters. 
So uh, I saw this article um, on my Facebook feed, Powerful Illustrations Show Women How to Fight Gender Prejudices. And so it's just a series of these really nice posters about all the shit that women have to deal with. So the first one is, Rose decided not to have kids. No worries, Rose. Motherhood is a choice, and your decision does not make you any less of a woman. Whitney has spent 10 years of her life trying to lose weight so she could be happy then. Then she realized her body didn't stop her from doing what she loves and trying to find happiness. That's the way, Whitney. You don't have to allow, you don't have to allow that excluding and discriminating model to be between you and your happiness. Everybody's entitled to self-respect. Okay. Before you go on, so when I was at the, um, and I was, it was at the Whole Foods of all places, there was a magazine there and I don't remember which magazine it was, but it was a woman's magazine. And there's a picture on the front with this woman and we kind of see her from behind, but she's got her head turned so we can see her face. And the whole thing is talking about how to lose weight and, you know, how to eat and how to become skinny. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this model and I'm thinking, it's probably been photoshopped to all get out, but the body is so little and the head is so big. I'm thinking that's not even attractive. We, 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 we have these, these ideal body types that we think that everybody should fit into. And it's like, and I guess whether they're attractive or not isn't, isn't really, um, shouldn't even even be um, a consideration but you know as whether it's healthy you know it, it is maybe better but I, I i like this you know hey it's uh, okay to, to, to be who you are i wrote an article on velatry about it was called um culture yells me things and it was about that it was about the um that the way that we discriminate against women for being overweight and uh and kind of trying to parse the difference between discrimination and maybe some legitimate health concerns at certain, you know, for some people. But, um, you know, even so, that doesn't give you a right to discriminate and treat people like shit, regardless. So, yeah, I like, like, it was all about fat acceptance and, yeah. So all the posters are kind of along those veins, like these, like one woman doesn't wear makeup and they're like, rock on, an old lady wears a bikini, yeah, you look great, do what you want to do, you know. So I just thought they were kind of, you know, just kind of cool because oh, it's great. all these tropes. They're yeah. very cool posters. They're very affirming. Yeah. I like Anne was raped. Anne, you're not alone. It's not your fault. Right. You know, that, I mean, and I think that, that, that they're great messages, every one I, of these. I, I you know what I really like down here is the one about Susan wears a hijab. Mm-hmm. I do, too. I saw um, that, too. I, I really like that. I, I watched a... It was a comedy series. It was a Hulu exclusive. I guess it was originally a Canadian series called Little Mosque on the Prairie. And one of the main characters was a, was a woman. She considered herself to be a Muslim feminist, but she wore a hijab and she wore a hijab because that was what she felt was important for her dignity was to cover up her hair. It was part of her identity. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good one because I tend to – this is one that I do mentally, totally the hijab one. Yep. So I need to work on that. Yeah, I, I think that that becomes difficult when you start talking about like driver's license photos. And, and you know, I mean because they're, they're supposed to be for identification. But if you can't identify a person, what's the point of the identification in the first place? I, I think that there there is some dis- – If there, there a woman is, is some- going to be wearing a hijab in public and she's wearing a hijab in her, in her driver's yeah. license photo, I would say that you know that should be identifying. But then there well, are burqas. A, 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 I guess – A hijab does not hide the face. It only I get, okay, you're right. The hijab – what am I thinking of? Where you're it's, thinking you burqas. Burqas. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe the hijab is not an issue, but the I don't burqa. know if women in burqas drive. I don't know. I don't know if women in yeah. burqas drive or not. Yeah, I know, I, I, don't if, know. I know that if they wear sunglasses, nobody can tell who they are. Right, but that's kind of my point. Is you know, at that point, the the, and the hijab. You're right. The hijab is not not the problem, but that but the whole burqa, you know, and and I mean, and I, there are women who wear those in in you know here in the states. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I, there's a group of women whose kids go to my kids' school who wear. I call I think of them as kind of the tent ladies because it's not just the hijab. It's like a big long tenty thing that com- comes down to their fingertips, but it doesn't hide the face either. So. Yeah, I guess I guess that. I think that there's a discussion to be had that if you're wearing something that covers your face, that it's hard to, you know, how are you supposed to identify a person? I mean, maybe maybe there's an answer. I yeah. wear something that covers my face. It's a beard. I wear well, a neck gaiter up over off, my face. I wouldn't today. recognize myself. Yeah, see that that's a good point. Yeah, your neck gaiter. Yeah, my neck gaiter up over my nose today. Yeah. I don't know. That's that, that's an interesting discussion. I suppose for later. All right. Cool. So what do we got here? We've got brothel menus, which are, are interesting, but I, I kind of – I I'd well, like to get the – follow-up story that's really the best. Well, now, okay. clarify something for me. A brothel is a soup kitchen, right? <laughs> okay. So this is an image on Imgur and a menu from a London brothel from 1912. Um, it has some pretty raunchy stuff on it. The first thing I noticed, though, and um, this is one reason why uh, I, I was hesitant to um, put this. Originally, I was debating if this would be a masturbation moment kind of thing. But this is a London brothel, yet all the prices are in American dollars. So I was, <laughs> I was the, the first time I, I looked through this, I'm like, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right. Well, some of the um, descriptions, uh, the, uh, uh no discount for a cast, stink fingers, and jerk-off matinees for young men under 21 every Wednesday from 2.30 to 4. Customers must enter with cash in one hand and tool in the other. If you are not a self-starter, stay at home and jerk yourself off. <laughs> the, <laughs> the menu itself is filled with stuff like that. So it's a very raunchy, very, very uh, descriptive... A uh, little thing that is, is is amusing, and you wonder what it is. To me, it looks more like a prop, but I don't know the whole story. Well, the follow-up story of someone else who um, saw something kind of odd about this, Karen Stolznow. Okay, yeah, we we know Karen. Yeah. How do you pronounce her last name? Stolznow. Okay, good, I pronounced it right. She really ripped it apart even better. And, um... <clears throat> And she used linguistics to do so. I thought she did a great job. Linguistics, talking about um, basically the language in it doesn't fit for that time frame. She points out the um, the uh, money issue as well, and she talks about um, in the okay in 1912 the English paid for their painted women in pounds, shillings, and pence. The UK didn't uh, decimalize their currency until 1971. So even if the dollar sign wasn't there, the decimal part wouldn't make any sense. I actually but, think the correct term for that is decimate their currency. <laughs> but so and, and this is the perfect thing to bring up is something like that. It gets a title. Everyone starts passing it on. And you have a whole bunch of people that believe this is a menu from a London brothel in 1912. And they don't see all the errors. Nothing catches their eyes. But whenever you do just a little research, you can start breaking this stuff down. Well, and, and I was 
I was interested in the age bracket for the item on the right-hand page. Asshole fucking for men over 45. <laughs> Why do we need to bracket age? Is it more or less? I can't find the comparable price yeah, for younger that's, men. that's the thing. There's a few things like that that uh, sound like there should be other prices for the exact same thing, but they're not there. It seems to me that, that a menu like this never actually existed. That yeah, this is a negotiation between you and your prostitute. Right. It, it feels more like a, a comical prop of some kind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. But, and that was my first impression when I saw that. I'm like, really? There, yeah. Somebody actually had a menu? But I, I'm glad that uh, that uh, yeah, somebody found some errors. Oh, I like the fact that there is no 22nd Street in London. Naming streets or avenues after L- numbers is an American convention. Nice. But this is the, the critical thinking we try and promote. And this is definitely, you know, we see this stuff all the time where people throw all sorts of labels on things that they probably don't even know about. I just thought, hey, this would be a music label to throw. Yet it, you know, goes viral and people all start believing this. And instead of really looking into it, they just accept it. And I I definitely loved seeing, you know, like I said, I I saw it first and caught what I, what was definitely a mistake to me. And then to find an article where someone really breaks it down even more and does the actual research says, yeah, you know, but it, 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 hopefully it gets people thinking. If they find the second, you know, the, the one where someone has broken it apart, it's like, what else have I seen that, you know, has screwed up like that, that I kind of ignored to begin with? Sure. Can someone explain what backscuttling is to me? Which, what, no. Backscuttling? Uh, a lot of these terms, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, what's a dog fashion? <laughs> A dry oh. bob? <laughs> doggy style. Dog fashion is doggy style, right? Okay, I don't know what a dry bob is. That's why I guess what that one. Diddling on uh, the edge uh, of the back bed. And this is a, this is a back scuttling is when they wreck a ship on your back. Ah, oh, per- yes. And so then do you get the salvage? I'm not sure. Okay, what's a bobcock? Because apparently bobcocks and flat pricks are an extra 50 cents. Yeah, I, what is in squashing? A bobcock is a cock owned by any man named Robert. Is that s- squashing on prick? Squatting. Squatting on prick. Oh, okay. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah Squatting. Yep. Let's look this up and see if there is actually any definition of back scuttling. Oh, see, thank you. I don't want to look it up. <laughs> I'm afraid to look it up. Someone else can. All right. What does back scuttling mean? Siri, what is back scuttling? <laughs> All right. According to the Urban Dictionary, verb to be backscuttled is to be done up the arse. Uh, uh, okay. What's a dry uh, bob? Dry bob. You know, dry bob. What? Let's find out. It was only forty nine cents. Well, then, yeah, if that's the if that's true, it that whole the price, the three eighty five or whatever, contradicts well, itself because it says free backscuttling, which, if Mac your Urban Dictionary is true, then in the same paragraph about describing that, it says must stay out of the poop hole. So, out of her, how, uh, that, people, that does seem to be a contradiction here. I think you have to stay out uh, of her poop hole. I guess. Ah, uh, I get it. Got it. Okay, how wait, much wait. did you say was a dry bob? Uh, uh, 49 cents. cents. How much? 49 cents. Uh, and what's the exchange rate on the rest of the document? I'm trying to figure out what that, if that sexual ejaculation that a, that a dry bob is, is a good bargain on this particular menu. What is a dry bob? Have we figured that one Sex out Sex without ejaculation. Hmm. Okay. I love that there's a category, common old-fashioned fuck. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Is that missionary? <laughs> Position? Absolutely, yeah. Oh. This is so. This is really funny. Yeah, oh. it, it is funny. Hey, um, Dr. Karen Stolls now is also she. She does a podcast um, called Monster Talk, so she appears on that occasionally too. And, and she's a linguistic anthropologist, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 she lives here in Denver. Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute here. I found I found further information on the dry bob. Oh, excellent. I read I read somewhere that in the old days prostitutes would offer a dry bob for a cheaper price than the usual copulation. The source didn't give any more in- information. <laughs> Why do I have the feeling that this particular source was what we were just looking at? Possibly. It could but very well be. Yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll fill you up. I won't actually bring you to Climax. And it's like, how many guys are going to say, oh, you know, um, stop her? London prostitutes in the Ripper days usually took a John standing up, and supposedly few of them noticed or cared that they were between her thighs and not in the glory hole. Ah, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Once again, the unfamiliarity with women's bodies, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, sure, there's a lot of that going on. If the lady is plumpish and is lubricated between the thighs, it could be quite satisfying. There you go. It occurs yeah. to me that in the Victorian era, the gal might have been lubricated by the last guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sloppy yeah. seconds. Ooh, that was a bridge too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go anyway, to that particular source is the uh, boards.straightdope.com. Uh, all right, can we, wait, can we move on to the five stupid, unfair, sexist things expected of men? Okay. Because quite frankly, uh, Jesus in a Japanese T-roll is not impressive. <laughs> uh, it would be if it looked more like him. It, it, it looks like a Disney character from Frozen. Yeah, it actually no. It looks more like uh, actually looks a lot more to me like the ones from uh, the uh, Kodama from Princess Mononoke. You know the story of the uh, badly painted Jesus, right? Right. No. Okay, there was this really actually. Um, if you see the originals, it's really impressive looking um, depiction of Jesus. It had been wor- uh, worn down over the years and it had been kind of fading. And this one woman in the town offered to paint, repaint it for everyone. And she went. That's what she repainted to look like. And she thought it was beautiful. But needless to say, uh, quite a few people were upset with it. <laughs> <laughs> but she was trying to repaint it, and that's what she All came right. up with. It's All right, an Terry. amusing story. I'm surprised you didn't know about it. No. Five stupid, unfair, and sexist things expected of men. So this is an article on Alternet by Greta Christina, who is just a fantastic writer and blogger and sex, pro-sex activist. Um, the um, subtitle is, We know the many ways sexism hurts women, but we don't talk much about how sexism hurts men. And so it's just a fantastic article about why we should give why we should care, why we should care that men are discriminated against. So um, she goes on to, to find out what kinds of expectations men get about being a man, how to be a manly man, and how those expectations affect them. Hold on, them. Terry. Terry, where's that coming from? Alternate. No. The, the, can anybody else hear that? The St. Jude advertisement? Is that just me? I'm not yeah. hearing it. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, let's see. Sorry. So uh, number one is fight, fight, fight. Um, she did a poll of the men in her life, and uh, a surprising number of them, even at higher socioeconomic categories, you know, um, 
reported that they were expected to to fight to resolve conflicts and you know this whole sports team thing and just physical violence is how you respond to stuff and this is an, i was going to say this is an absolutely ridiculous stereotype yeah yeah i i hate this and be, because here's the thing is that i am never going to get into a physical altercation to defend anybody's honor i'm sorry it isn't worth it I will, this is a ridiculous stereotype, away. and I will beat the shit out of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's very few things that, to me, are worth it. You hear about um, people that get into fistfights all the time, and uh, half the time it's always such trivial things. It's like, dude, you have anger issues. I will admit, I've been in one fist fight in my life, and there was a reason for it. It was an issue between me and this one guy that had been building up for years, and in the end, that was the only way it was going to end. Outside of that, I've never had the desire to try and have one because it did doesn't you win or you lose. Like, yeah, I did that. End it. Did that end the conflict? Yeah, actually, more or less. You know, we, we <laughs> still don't like, like each other, and I want nothing to ever do with him again. But that so, stopped a, a chain of events that kept happening between the two of us. One thing she says in her closing paragraph in this section is: "So men are expected, indeed required, because of our laws, to avoid and deflect confrontation and to resolve conflicts without resorting to violence." And when they do, they get called pussies for not fighting. Yeah. Yeah, well, quite frankly, you can put me in that category. Yeah, because the biggest insult to a man is being compared to a woman, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, well and, and, well, and being specifically her lady parts. Vagina. Yes. All right. Yeah, right. Well, not vagina, necessarily. The whole, I think pussy is more um, analogous to vulva, right? Am I misunderstanding? I, I, I... We might be reading too much into it already. I like to parse. <laughs> I like to parse vulva vagina because I think it's important to name all the parts and be familiar with like a lot of the different parts. Okay, Let's but see. pussy is a slang term, probably for the vulva. Yes. Yes, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. Okay. But we, we do seem to elevate the idea of you know how manly it is to fight. It, it definitely is there, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's not manly. It's cowardly. I mean, if if you run out of words and and all you have left are your fists, that that is a failure on your part. So my friend that I was having a conversation with this about before we moved to number two, because he commented on the fighting thing, um, he said that he had read this book about um, an American guy who decided to explore some Mexican mountain ranges, and um, it was fascinating because he, you know, there were drug gangs and all kinds of violence and stuff. And what my friend took away from this book were two points. The first is that Mexican society. Um, is as patriarchal and misogynistic as heck. The masochism he observed among Mexican males is astounding. To be a man in Mexico, you have to subscribe to all the macho things, and the penalty for not doing so is not uh, just ostracization, but frequently torture and death. Treating a woman with respect is tantamount to, to signing your death warrant. Relatedly, point number two is, the most shocking thing of all was his observation of how female Mexicans actually encourage this behavior. A woman's status in society was closely tied to that of her lover or boyfriend or husband. The most violent, the more violent and macho he was, the more respect he was given, and hence the status transferred to his woman as well, which led to a very specific pecking order among the women. This had real-world implications in that because of the extreme poverty of the region, social status was closely tied to prosperity, and so having a powerful male partner meant that you and your children would have food, shelter, and protection as long as the woman continued to please her man. So I just thought that was just a fascinating, in that culture, a fascinating observation about um, the relationship between social status and this masculinity business and how that gets hyper-amplified in a situation of extreme poverty. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess that uh, 
that's a societal thing as well, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, should I go to number two now? Yeah, go to number two. Number two is be a good husband, partner, lover, but don't care too much what women think. So um, it's like rigid and contradictory and damned if you do, damned if you don't conundrum. Um, oh, wait a minute. So we're we're supposed to be a good husband or lover, and that means that we're supposed to be able to predict exactly what is going to light the fires on any particular night, but we're not supposed to actually care what she thinks. Right. Because that gives her the power in the situation, right? So if you care what she thinks, then yeah. Yeah, well, and this comes from the idea that women aren't equal to men. Right, and so that if you care too much what she thinks, your dude bros are going to shame you for it. Yeah. 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 And uh, again, the closing paragraph is great. Men are not supposed to be the objects of desire, which is a whole slew of shit about women's sexuality. And um, yeah. they're su- they're supposed to be the subjects, and subjects aren't supposed to care what their objects think of them. I wouldn't mind being the object of desire. I, I like being the object of desire myself. It mm-hmm. feels good. <laughs> Certainly uh, feels better than being the object of ridicule. <laughs> yeah. Right. But they, they mentioned okay, the term, you don't say it. You're sexy. <laughs> they mentioned right. the term pussy whipped her. And while I have known guys who wives have overly controlled them, um, I, I, I've never cared for that term. Whipped. The whipped part I don't mind. <laughs> well, I, I've known guys that I would say are whipped. And, um, I've never been whipped with a pussy. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, quite, that, that'd be a bit weird. You'd have to have some pretty flexible skin down there for that. Well, it could be a plastic one. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's a hugely derogatory term towards both men and women, the pussy whipped thing. It's just, yeah. Uh, number three is be hot to trot always with anybody. So this is the oh, idea that God. men are always supposed to be good to go. I'm more or less always good to go, but... With any woman who says yes? Anyone who offers herself? Really? uh, So far, it's only been my wife, so, you know, (laughs) I can't say otherwise. You know, if if another woman gets that raunchy with me, I'll be able to tell you yes or no on that. So this is is just a lack of opportunity with you, is what you're saying. You know, so I I can't say one way or the other. So far, yes. Ian, you have an N of one. I I don't think that qualifies. I don't remember what comic it was, but his uh, his thing about the difference between men and women is women need a reason to have sex. Men just need a place. Yeah, and I hate that so much. It's, it's yeah. so wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's you know, every, any comic is a reflection of society. Any person who's a stand-up comic is who's any good is going to have to be reflecting society. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Dogging him necessarily. I'm dogging the whole idea is completely ridiculous because it's not true. Right. Uh, there's an interesting in the middle paragraph here. She's talking about um, uh, the predatory sexual desire of all men to all women, and then but then she talks about men's preferences, right? And here's the fat shaming thing again. Even today, lots of men feel pressured to date women who meet the current standards of female attractiveness. Lots of men, for instance, feel pressured to date fashionably thin women, even if they personally prefer women with a little more meat on their bones. They feel embarrassed introducing them to their buddies, like dating a fat chick is a slam to their ego, like it means they're not high enough on the primate status ladder to acquire a high status mate. Yeah, I, I, but, this is this is uh, one. I, I, the I, woman who's heavier is going to show more signs of fertility. Yeah, well, yeah, because she's probably menstruating. Well, I think this is probably a more modern 
um, thing too, right? About about these thin women, because it certainly wasn't the Victorian body type, right? Yeah. Right. But Max saying there's maybe an evolutionary reason why a lot of men are attracted to women who are possible reproductive partners, and like women yeah. too thin yeah, might. Sure. Yeah. I'm no, I get that, and, and I will. I will say right off the bat that I would prefer a, a you know, a woman with more meat on her bones than. You know these these women these models. The, I, I, and I've said this before. The we're the model type body type is, is not for men. It's not to attract men. It's yeah. to it's to sell it's to sell clothes to women. Okay. Uh, no, no, you you misunderstand it. Oh, uh, it's a it's to sell clothes to women who hate themselves. <laughs> well, and to give them a reason to hate themselves more. Or women who want to be accepted in society. And well, I think that's probably and more. And to sell weight loss products. Yeah. yeah, right? Like that stupid magazine I was looking at earlier. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and another, another quote from a stand-up comic out there. If men wrote the articles in Cosmopolitan, it would be, feed us, don't bother us, blank page, blank page, blank page. <laughs> <laughs> feed us, don't bother us. Beer, bring more beer. Um, the, in, in the number three section too, she talks about how men are not supposed to, um, have so much emotion. And so, um, the, being attracted to someone has to be only physical, not emotional, which is, yeah, of course, interesting too. You know, and I would get really angry about that if I could. Yeah. But I only have two emotions and that's rage and suppressed rage. <laughs> of course, you're an atheist. <laughs> this is yeah, I, I like the the end. Uh, we're we're in here somewhere. Boys don't cry. Stiff upper lip, number four. Boys don't cry. Yeah. Yep, it's common. I cry and it's every just... time we're done with the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> you weep. Do you weep tears of joy or tears of sorrow at the end? It, it just depends on how we end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always hated that, you know, because I think that's especially hard on young boys. You know, this well, idea sure. that they're not supposed to cry because you're so much even because that you're at so much more emotional time, and I and I and I tell you what I was I was a crier you know and and, and it was embarrassing but man I, I just ugh awful yeah and well, it shouldn't have been embarrassing exactly yeah when my mom had her accident what like I want to say about seventeen years ago after that I found I it was hard for me not to cry because after going through all that it was a very emotional time because she almost died. And I've not since then. I've not gained back my control I had before that, which is okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's okay to feel what you feel. And yeah, you just can't do it on yeah. this podcast. Because <laughs> we'll make fun of you. Because we'll shame you for being. We'll you know, shame you for it. Because uh, we're so no. mean. Um, number five is interesting too. It's the fear of being perceived as gay. Um, so. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is about being a manly man, and being gay is like the unmanliest of men, right? Yeah, in, in high school, I had, you know, my friends and I would, you know, well, we had people that thought we were gay because we, we, I'd love to see the reaction of these people, you know, the, these serious homophobics. And, and looking back on it, it was probably, um, you know, that some of those people might have been gay. You know that have the strong reactions. I, I I don't know that for sure, but it, it just it just seems like you know that the the, the the strong reaction that especially men have to gay men, particularly in, and I notice it most in high school. It probably still goes on, but um, that's when I noticed it the most is with high school kids. Yeah. Do you think okay. it was so? Is is it that is it that the presence of a gay man threatens your own 
sexuality? Or I don't know what it was. Is it the, is it the yeah. sense, is it going back to that sense of other? And is it the age of the high school students or the era that it occurred? Because I wonder if that's as common today. Yeah, I don't know. That was the 90s. It was easy to get a rise out of these people. That's what I remember. Right. Yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. I'm glad that we're covering this because sexism cuts both ways, right? Sure. I remember when I was in high school, one of the, uh, one of the guys in the drama club, and I'm not saying that the people in the drama club, I was in the drama club. I'm not saying that the people in the drama club were gay because they were not, but this man, this boy was, and he got a crush on Nicest guy in the world also happened to be a football player and went crazy and went off on this football player one day when the guy wouldn't uh, reciprocate his emotions. And that was a, that one was hushed up very, very quickly and that guy left school. But poor guy. If he had had the space to just have that crush. And be open about it? Do you think it would have ended in disaster that way? I don't know. You know, I, I think that they, they, the guy that he had the crush on was actually really, really a nice guy and he was friendly to him. But he wasn't going to reciprocate those feelings. Right. You don't have to reciprocate those feelings. There's no obligation. Yeah. Um, one of the things in the closing part of this article that I really like is that she talks about just rejecting it. Like you can, you can be aware of these expectations and just like we do call bullshit on it and refuse to, to be party to that. Yeah, no, I like that. I also like, you know, I mean, she does make the point in the beginning that certainly women, women's sexism is, I, I don't know, did she call it more harmful? I mean, but more prevalent, maybe more prevalent, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, but is it more prevalent? I mean, these things are extremely prevalent that we're talking about. It's true, they are. Yep. I, I love this. I love this uh, paragraph here, where she says, "We want, but just like lots of feminist women are able to laugh off the sitcoms and billboards, in women's magazines and live however the frack we want, lots of feminist men are able to unload the John Wayne, Cary Grant, what kind of man reads Playboy crap." Or depending on the, upon their generation, the Rambo, Tom Cruise, Maxim magazine crap. I love the fact that let's just say Tom Cruise's sexuality is somewhat in doubt. Gary <laughs> Grant's is not. Mm. Man, it is sure. not straight. So yeah, you know, I think that what her point was uh, in the beginning uh, to, to characterize it properly is that she didn't do this to say that to um, to say that. Um, that female sexism wasn't a problem, just to point out that there's problems on both sides. This also yeah, to say exists. that the female yeah. sexism is not isolated. Well, exactly. Um, the, the, we have three guys on this podcast. I know for a fact none of us watch, are into football or any of that stuff. And by some means, that's very unmanly. And the chick is a bike racer. Yeah. Or soon to be right. bike racer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I, I go and shoot carbon arrows at targets, so... I, I get a man pass on that one. No, that's that become very feminine with Hunger Games and all that. Ooh, and brave. Good point, Ian. Yep. Hey, I was Hunger yeah. Games before Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: is that I mean, we kind of are, don't fit these stereotypes. Instead, we're geeky podcasting criers. <laughs> <laughs>
But I think we're probably, this may sound a bit stereotypical, but I think we're enjoying life more than the people that worry about all this stuff. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to, to make a comparison yeah. like that. Well, from what I've seen, I, I've seen guys that worry about all this stuff, and I don't think they enjoy life as much as we do. Yeah, I think we all need to chill out and give each other space to just be who we are, you know, and be accepting of everybody's differences. Yeah. Yeah. Not us specifically, because we're good at that, but at society. Right. (laughs) We're certainly good at that when we're in our little environment here, but are are we as good at it when we're out amongst everybody else? I, I hope so. You know, but I think not. that that's when it's probably well. That's what that's kind of what I suspect is that you know we're really good about sitting here talking about it, but are we as cognizant about it when we're when we're out and about? And that's so, when it's really important. Let me share a story. When I was not accepting from today, so um, a dude passed me on the bike path on his bike in a rude way in a spot where we I was riding slowly because it was courteous, and he like whipped around me like a total jerk. So I chased him and caught him and uh, stayed about 15 feet behind him. And I could tell that he was working, working, working to stay ahead of me. And I just kept him like 15 feet ahead, 15 feet ahead and just let him sweat until he finally got exhausted. And I, I just, I crushed him. I went past him, dropped him like a hot potato, like (laughs) just to completely slay him. And um, at the top of this hill, I pulled over to blow my nose and warm my hands up. And some minutes later, he passed me, but he was in such a hurry to get past me and to get in front again that he flung himself out into traffic and almost got hit. Oh, jeez. You know, you need to protect him from stuff like that, Terry. Uh, next, was... time he does some, next time he does some crap like that, you stick a stick in his spokes. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Terry, I'll tell you what. I think that uh, we can probably cover this with ten holy Marys and five are the fathers, and you'll be good. It was a totally sexist thing, though. Like, like he was manning up to be the manly man and pass the girl, right? And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to chick your ass in a heartbeat here. And so I did. And uh, and then I just felt I had, like, this sociopathic sort of glee in crushing this poor guy. But here's the thing is that – well, I, okay, I can, maybe the, the glee wasn't so good. But don't you think that sometimes people need to be taken down a peg? I do, yeah. And it felt so good. It felt too good to do it, though. That's what's the problem. <laughs> well, but he cut you off first, right? I I don't know. You know yeah. that that's a really interesting situation because uh, on the one hand, you know he he shouldn't have done what he did, but then but you were able to totally make him, you know. I made him pay for it, and I didn't need <laughs> to. I could have just relaxed and had like a mellow ride, but no, I put the gas on and just yeah. <laughs> wow. Well. Oh. So yes, I don't. I don't practice what I preach in the real world. Apparently, I'll work I, I on think, that. I think. I think that that the, I think that's the point, right? Is that you know, walking the walk is just as important as talking the talk, and we got to remember to you know to be this gracious when we're you know all the time. You know, if he had passed me nicely, or if he had said, "Hey, how's your ride going?" or something like that, as he passed, I totally wouldn't have reacted that way. You know. Like, I think, again, giving each other the space and being friendly and giving each other the benefit of the doubt goes a long way. Right. Had he just actually been the faster writer and just, you know, and and just got past you, you know. Instead of pretending to be the faster writer. Because you know what? The fastest writers are the nicer ones, actually. Sure, because they've got nothing to prove. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. And you had something to prove. I did. I'm usually the nicer writer, though, but not with this dude. (laughs) Well, hopefully you can move past it. Yeah, I'll work on it. You know, I've, I've been thinking about uh, 
Fight Club. Ever since we since we did the article, the bit of the article about fighting, about men being ready to fight at all times. And there's a line in there about you don't know what your limits are unless you've been in a fight. There's yeah. a line, you know, the the thing in there is you don't know what you can do unless unless you know how you can take a punch. Right, but what is the purpose in knowing that? Well, in the in Fight Club, the purpose was ultimately to overthrow society, but. <sighs> It's just an interesting. It's an interesting stereotype. It is an interesting stereotype, and and but here's the thing: is that the the you know like here here Terry can probably speak to this, being the cultural anthropologist, that there might have been a time when that was that was beneficial for survival. Yeah. Right. Where we're probably, we're being yeah. being the the more manly person, that the person you know that that you know that could provide, that could that could you know bring home meat, that could. You know, well, the more manly person was the one who was qualified to lead. You were qualified to lead if you could, you know, overthrow the enemy's troops. Or even just surviving in the environment, you know. And yeah, like Brian's saying, provide your offspring, your genetic inheritance with enough food to survive and go on to have offspring and all of that. Well, and if you were the manliest man, you were the one who got the first pick of where you were going to have that offspring. Or And who with, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. that's what I was saying, where, where you were going to have that offspring. Who you were going to have the offspring with, I guess. Sexual selection, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think that some of these things are, are – um, they go back a long way, right? But that doesn't mean that they're that they're still useful. Now the right. man that is who can remove the virus off the computer fastest. Right. Or am I wrong about that? There you go. Yeah, that's huge. By the way, huge actually, actually, that would be Mac. me. The, the manlier man prevents his users from getting them in the first place. Oh, you, nobody could do that with my users. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? It's a more uncontrolled environment than yours. <laughs> that is true, but I still fail. <laughs> anything else, guys? I think I we're good. So. All right, say good night, everybody. Been, I have been good warned night. that my bird has gone entirely over to alien noises at this point, so. I better go see to him. All right. Good night, everybody. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Kennold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash p-k-a-n-o-l. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.